Today we will look at Hebrews 2, but we're going to read over 1 again. Someone please read chapter 1 and just state the version you have. Let's hear the beginning of this book that has been called uh, uh, a book that leads us from this shadow of the Old Testament explaining the priesthood and the sacrifices and uh, how the prophets brought the word of God. Moses, being a prophet of God, received the law. He received the pattern for the tabernacle. He received the sacrifices, the sacrificial system. He received the exact way in which the priests are supposed to conduct their business in God's house including the high priest, their garments and everything. Moses received that. And the Lord is shown to be superior, the Lord Jesus, superior to the prophets, to the angels. And then the priesthood is discussed at length. And uh, this is what Judaism has been given by Almighty God. The oracles belong to the Jews, the revelation. And then, uh, almost midpoint, the Lord shows us that we have a very special and unique high priest and what he actually does on our behalf and how perfect he is with the sacrifice that he made of himself while being our intercessor, the high priest. And then in light of what we've been given, in light of the uh, unique high priest we have, the epistle goes on to the end stating how we should behave and how we should respond to that because of what we've been given and he calls attention to two things while highlighting famous heroes of faith in chapter 11 he calls attention to faith and obedience with perseverance this book as we said uh, the other day is showing the superiority of Christ to the prophets and the priesthood. It has the promise and it also shows practically about the perseverance of the people of God. And these things are guaranteed superior to the prophets and priests angels a superior promise or better covenant and then a superior a sealed concept of perseverance for the believers that we can do it how why why is a believer exhorted to trust God and continue to trust God and continue to obey
and persevere to the very end in this race, surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, as we read in Hebrews 12. Why? Because God has given such an intercessor who is on our side, presenting our case before the Father, and He is uh, giving us the power to persevere. Our job is to believe Him, believe Him, believe Him, believe His promises, believe the person of Christ, that He's better than anything and everything that's been given in the law, moving from the shadow to the substance, from the shadow of the law and the covenant, the old one, the old priesthood, the prophets, right to the substance that this is what it was all about. It was all about Jesus being our faithful, eternal high priest who's passed into the heavens. Whoever liveth to make intercession for the believers. So this is the panoramic um, look at the book of Hebrews in a, in a brief summary. So we understand what we're reading and why God has given us this book. Yes, it's meant, meant originally in context for the Hebrew Christians. This principle they call in hermeneutics and theology and exegesis, the study of the original meaning, the original context, who it was written to, is important. Many people believe it was Paul who wrote this, and others say maybe Apollos or someone else. Because of the language and the way uh, the covenants, the priesthood is declared in a singular thought, a stream of thought, instead of Paul usually abruptly jumping between thoughts. But um, that's the debate over who wrote it, but we know the author. The ultimate author is God himself. The Holy Spirit inspired it. And this was written just a few years, it's believed, before the destruction of the Jewish temple, the famous Jewish temple. It was built by the return of the captives from Babylon. and lasted a few hundred years before the Romans came and destroyed it. God allowed the first temple to be destroyed that was built by Solomon in the 900s BC. And that lasted a few hundred years, destroyed by the Babylonians. Then after some uh, 60 or 70 years, they returned after the initial captivity and they rebuilt the temple. And that was enhanced by Herod the Great. God warned again. Jesus predicted by the time of the first century, the Lord said, you see this building? The disciples said, look, look at this marvelous temple, Lord. Everything's happening here. Everything, God's presence is supposed to be there, is supposed to be there, is supposed to be there. 
You recall God went in there, Jesus went into his temple, cleansed it because it became a marketplace. People were just in there doing whatever they felt like and he threw them out, the money changers and the business people that came in to do business. He said, my house, Father's house is called the house of prayer. Prayer, you made it a den of thieves. And he sent them out. When the disciples admired the building with the great enhancements that Herod provided for it, he having a half-Jewish lineage himself, at the same time trying to court the Jews and court Rome at the same time, for his own advantage, a ruthless person, murderous, but an architectural genius, some say. He had his hand on the temple. God willed it. He enhanced it. By the time the disciples came, they saw it. The people following the big expansion of the construction of the temple. The disciples one day said, Master, do you see the temple? Look how beautiful it is. That's when the Lord said, I tell you the truth. Not one stone will be left upon another. The whole thing's coming down. And it happened in 70 A.D. Just uh, about 30 or 35 years or so after the Lord predicted it. The whole thing was gone. What happens when you have no temple? There's no priesthood. The priests need the temple. There are no sacrifices. It's supposed to be in the temple. You have the bronze... Uh, Lever, you have the altar of sacrifice for the burnt offerings. You have the furniture inside, the table, and the special bread that the Lord instructed the priests to have, one for each tribe, loaves of bread. It had to be fresh. You had the altar of incense. You had the flame that was supposed to go on there lit by the priests, and then you have the Holy of Holies inside. Only the high priest can go once a year. You had all of these things laid out. Now there's no temple. What do you do? God was showing it's over. That old system is done. It might have lasted for 1,500 years, but it's over now because my son has come. Hallelujah. He has come and fulfilled all things. We have the better priest, the superior priest, one who lasts forever, because the priests that did what they did could only temporarily cover up the sins of the people and themselves. But now, this high priest is perfect. He's God himself. He does not need to ever atone for his own sins. And he gave his perfect life unlike an animal. So the sacrifice is perfect, and the high priest is perfect, we have a perfect salvation. Hallelujah. The writer to the Hebrews by the Holy Spirit was telling the people, as we hear also today, this morning, that we have such a God that so perfectly and meticulously, very detailed manner, 
has watched over everything that was instituted, watching over the sacrifices, watching everything that's happening in the temple. Who's coming to the courtyard? Are they observing everything? Why? Because he's a holy God. He gave a particular way in which to approach them. He doesn't stop being holy. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But the approach has changed by the grace of God because all of that law, as it's given in the book of Romans, has been brought into grace now. Hallelujah. For the law came by Moses and grace and truth by the Lord Jesus Christ. All of that shadow, all these centuries of this busy activities in Jerusalem in the temple particularly has now stopped no more shadow the substance has come someone's seeing a shadow on the ground no matter what it is it can be a person nearby you may be looking at the ground you see a shadow you know when you see the shadow the substance is somewhere not too far away or in the case of a, a huge moving shadow, maybe it's a plane overhead, an airplane that's going by. Maybe it's a, an object or a car or a shadow from a tree. But when we look at the shadow, we see this representation of some real substance. Something real is there. This is just a shadow. We know instinctively when we see that. By the Spirit of God, we are being told all that God gave through Moses. Everything that's happened in the Old Covenant through the prophets. Even the very word given by angels. Everything was a shadow that was pointing to Jesus Christ the perfect fulfillment of all things that God gave foreordained. So, part of the book is dedicated to showing us what we have been given to the early Christians, the Jewish Christians. It was important. They were being warned, don't apostatize. What is apostatize? comes from the word apostasy which means to be a part of something and then try to get out of that. It means falling away, literally. Truly becoming a believer and then through the devil's confusion, enticements, or this pleasure, greed for power, for rebellion, to defect or leave the faith. It's a very dangerous thing. Apostasy. In the book of Hebrews it says if somebody does that, they turn their back on the Lord Jesus Christ and they say, I don't want you anymore. I want to pursue my own way. It's uh, the extreme form of backsliding or the end result of continuous backsliding. God recovers people all the time. Praise be to God. People who have sinned against God, they willfully even, willfully gone away from the Lord, suffer the consequences like the prodigal son, but 
They didn't apostatize. Hallelujah. God has brought them back. Glory be to God. But there are those who, no matter what God does, they insist, I will follow the devil. I will sin against God. There comes a point of no return for such people. And so the warning comes here. Several warnings are given in the book of Hebrews to the early Jewish believers and to all Christians for all time. Take heed, as we'll see in beginning chapter 2. Someone please read chapter 1, as we've been given a little overview here. What do we have in Jesus Christ? And then he's such a unique and superior high priest. And then how we're supposed to behave in light of the fact that the substance has come, how we ought to fear God all the more and obey Him, and have faith, and persevere to the very end. Look at the examples in chapter 11, and our behavior, our response to God's wonderful, amazing revelation uh, is required. And God says what He's looking for, and how we can be overcomers. The person of Christ, superiority, as the high priest to every prophet, every priest, the whole sacrificial system of the priesthood, to angels, and then the superior promise, the better covenant, the new covenant, new and living way. And then the book ends with uh, perfect perseverance. Uh, sealed perseverance, a guaranteed perseverance of the saints who by faith and obedience will inherit all things. Great encouragement and exhortation. In the midst of what? Persecution, trials, affliction, onslaught from the devil, all hell breaking loose. A lot was going on for these early Jewish Christians. A lot of persecution. But they were encouraged to Hold fast to the truth. And don't turn back from the truth. And if we willfully keep doing it, he says, be warned, there's no more sacrifice. Because Jesus is the sacrifice, the one sacrifice for all eternity. There's nothing else. If you've missed that, you don't have any other way. So hold fast to Jesus. By how? By what? Means by obeying the word of Jesus. Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, and all the instruction up until Matthew 7, at the culmination of that discourse, the Sermon of the Mount, is that I tell you what, a man who listens to everything I've said from the substance, from Jesus, is like a person who built his house on a rock. No matter what batters that house, seeks to batter it, it will not be shaken, it's going to stand. But the one who hears everything I've got to say, Hebrew Christians, you hear everything about the priesthood and the shadow becoming the substance or the shadow pointing to the substance. Or what we have, such a high priest, and God is encouraging us to run the race with perseverance, but with faith and obedience, that's the only way. Believe and do what he says. If we say, I believe, and we don't do what he says, we pick and choose what we like, like a buffet Christian, we will not persevere. We'll be the first one to get the mark if we're around the time of the Antichrist. It's a very dangerous thing. It's a very important thing to assess 
whether we really love Jesus. And the only way to know that is to see whether we're doing what he told us to do. Are we forgiving people? Are we going back to holding grudges? Are we looking down on people? Is there racism, bigotry? Are we instigating problems? Are we gossiping? Are we the cause for others who are going down spiritually while we're talking religious talk? Our actions and our talk doesn't match that? So-called belief? Or are we the people that are pure and their speech is pure? And people know when this person comes in the room, this relative, this friend, they're going to have a peace about them, but that's because they're pure in their hearts. They're not devious and suspecting people and having a quick temper and being quick to walk out and turn away and run away and slam the door. All of that is demonic. James says that kind of wisdom that says, I'm smart, I know what to do, is from the devil. He said, but the wisdom that's from heaven, first of all, is peaceable. It's gentle, it's pure. That's how we can know if we're in the race, running well. Is if we obey what Jesus said. Because if not, our house is not standing before him at all. And so the warnings are there here with the better promise, hallelujah. A number of warnings as we'll see. Praise the Lord. It's important to go over it again. To know what it is we've come to in the book of Hebrews what the overarching themes are. And then we can now go into the detail and let the Spirit of God begin to apply it to our hearts as we yield to Him. Someone please read Hebrews chapter 1 slowly and um, clearly and please state the version you're reading it from. Hebrews chapter 1, New Living Translation. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. Now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his Son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son, he created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he has cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic Majesty God in heaven. This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. For God never said to any angel what he said to Jesus, You are my Son. Today I have become your Father. God also said, I will be his Father, and he will be my Son. When he brought his firstborn Son into the world, God said, that all of God's angels worship him. Regarding the angels, he says, he sends his angels like the winds, his servants like flames of fire. But to the sun, he says, your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. You rule with scepter of justice. You love justice and hate evil. Therefore, O God, your God has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than, more than on anyone else. He also says to the Son, in the beginning, the Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth, made the heavens with your hands. They will perish, but you remain forever. They will wear out like old clothing. You will fold them like cloak and discard them like old clothing. But you are always the same. You will live forever. And God never said to any of the angels, 
sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. Therefore, angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. Amen. Amen. I believe it's important at some point in our study of the book of Hebrews to actually go to the source of the verses that are quoted, these things in the shadow of the law written in the Old Covenant, how the Holy Spirit, who is the author of the Word of God, He is able to bring out these different realities in the Word of God, pointing it all to culminate in Jesus Christ. It's important for us to know where these verses are coming from. So let's go back. After he says God has spoken to us in various times in human history by the prophets. In these last days he's spoken to us directly by his son. And who's the son? Exactly who the father is in his image, in his eternal substance. He's the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Again, we referred to what he told Philip, who asked him, can you show us the Father now, please? We're just in awe of Jesus, of everything we see. I mean, like, can you show us the Father? We know. We know in the law, Moses got to see a part of God. The elders got to see a part of God. They saw something like the paved work under his feet. And it's written, they saw the God of Israel. We know, people have seen visions. And Can you show us the Father? Philip, I've been with you all this time. You don't know me yet. Don't you know? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. In Hebrews it says he's the express image of his person. And furthermore, as in the book of Colossians, it says, He upholds all things by the word of His power. He's that powerful. All things. There's nothing that is not upheld by His power. He's God Almighty. When He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. When He offered that perfect sacrifice, and all of this points to him being appointed as an heir of all things. So we learned that Jesus was always God. Never stopped being God when he became a human being. Being. He laid aside his divine prerogatives. But he never stopped being God. And yet, as he became a human being... He had to be appointed by God. He had to be anointed with the Holy Spirit. And he had to obey, love righteousness and hate iniquity. What a perfect human being. He showed by example how you please God perfectly. It comes through his blood, through his eternal sacrifice, but how to please Him. We need the Holy Spirit to help us. We need to be anointed. 
we need to be obedient and we can be appointed to do and fulfill what God has called us to do. Just like Jesus fulfilled his mission. Each of us have a mission from God. And we want to know what it is. And only those who are serious, who love God and who are completely devoted to obeying Him, not having Him as a partial, partial Lord or have part-time Christianity. God has no time for those people, really. They can come to the house of God, they can do things, but truth be told, they really want to serve God part-time. They really want to pick and choose what they like to do and their opinion actually in effect becomes the law by which they live not God's truth we're in a cursed age in these last days where opinions run high and wide very opinionated generation and they believe that their opinion is just as good as anyone else's opinion, a.k.a. truth. My truth is good as your truth. Your truth is good as my truth. The sad thing is the world is like that, but Christians should not be like that. Because we're not here to hear opinions in one person's truth, or our own truth. We're here to hear God's truth, the only truth. Hallelujah. There's a humility that comes, a submission. Like the priests, as we are kingdom of priests. Not, you know, I know Moses said to wear this crown on the head, this mitre. I know that we have to have this kind of garment and we're supposed to change it ever so often. And I know that this is the way you light the fire in the temple. This is the prescribed means of incense. This is the ingredient base these are the ingredients of the very incense. And this is the person that's supposed to prepare those loaves for every tribe. And this is the person that goes into the Holy of Holies, Holy of Holies once a year. And this is how the people outside the courtyard receive the sacrifices from the, the population, the priesthood. And this is their portion, the portions for the priesthood and the Levites and and who gets to carry the furniture when we move things? And everything had God's revelation, truth, and directive. Imagine if a priest thought, I know all of this is said, but I feel like today I really can go and handle something that I'm not supposed to. I want to light that fire today. Hey, everybody's got talents. Why can't I? Let's use all of it. Come on. Why should you be the one to prepare the bread? Why can't I do it? What? Not only chaos would have ensued, utter destruction from God's presence. That's how strictly God enforced those things. The problem is, although we're not under a servile kind of fear, we're not under the law, the fear of God has been lost and people's opinions really reign. We ought to check ourselves, examine ourselves. How opinionated are we? How strongly do we believe about our own opinions, our own interpretation, our own way of doing things, 
are we able to be humble and quiet? And just as teachers in the classroom or parents sometimes do to the children, when they keep talking and keep venting, what do they do? They put their own finger right across their lips to tell them, hush. It's not your turn to talk. It's your turn to listen now. The problem with becoming adults is that the level of freedom that's enjoyed is not proportionate to the level of responsibility that is met as given by God. And nobody's there to stop adults because they're no longer children. And the opinion and the pride just grows and grows and grows. And that kind of approach comes to the Bible and to Christianity. What a travesty. We need to throw off everything. Cast down every opinion, every feeling even. And say, Lord, I want you to renew me. Oh my God. I really, truly want to be like a wind child. You teach me, Lord. Then we can receive. These are the fundamentals, I believe. While we are hearing about the different books in the Bible, at some point, God willing, it's going to take a lot of man hours, a lot of effort to transcribe the messages, to have a commentary on Proverbs and Hebrews, whatever the Lord gives. But I believe the thrilling thing, the most exciting thing is that in, in these expositions, the heart of our relationship and how to keep that fire going is the most important thing that we'll learn. Which will at once separate us from theory, theology, to practical Christianity. Which will help us to really know where we stand before God now. What are the qualities He's looking for as we hear the messages? Are we aspiring to that? Are there changes happening? And are there any areas in our lives where opinion is king over God's truth and revelation? God have mercy. I shudder to think if anybody would have the audacity, although many do today, especially in our church, at the hearing and seeing the miracles and wonders. And incidentally, God says right here that through the signs and wonders, the apostles transmitted the word that came to them from the Lord. He said, you've seen it all. You've seen it. So be careful that you don't slip now. Don't let the word slip. Obey. Have faith. Persevere. The change is vital. Change is vital. We live in a generation that does not want to hear that. They want to hear about everything else, but as far as change, according to God's word, no, I think I'll do that. Beware whenever you think I think when it comes to what God said. That will shut people out of the kingdom. They may be around for a while, but the great divide will come one day. That's the reality. Because the division will be based upon one criteria. What is that? Those who obeyed and those who didn't obey. Those who had a high opinion of certain things about God and church and how to do church and how to do the word. And Too many people are quick to say, that's okay, God understands, God knows my heart. That's exactly why he's giving the word. 
to change the heart and to make us understand that it's not our way plus his way it's his way period because he is God so we are given the great privilege I'm so thankful to God you know as we go along we are given an insight as if we were Jews it's exactly what God provided in order to appreciate the substance that is coming from the shadow we have it all in Jesus we are to be the first ones to have the deepest reverence even more than the ancient Jews with all the prescribed manners in which they had to approach very carefully God there's that dual truth complementary and not contradictory what is that? we have access boldness to come to the throne of grace to obtain help in time of need we don't have to wait for any priest we have the high priest in the heavens God himself God the Son I can go to my Abba Father and say Father I need this we are enjoying that hallelujah the same time we must remember if anyone on the face of the earth should know how to fear God it should be the Christian and should do it perfectly with God's grace there's a maturity that we read about in the book of Hebrews well now the verses that are given here we're going to quickly look at them before we go to chapter 2 because it is the Holy Spirit that has drawn out the treasure from the Old Testament for the which of the angel did he ever say you're my son today I've begotten you someone please everyone actually if you can if you have the Bible if you're not driving I'm just going to say the references we know exactly where it's coming from it's important it's important it's important for us to know where the Holy Spirit has drawn this treasure how he operates you're going to see in the second instance of the quotation that we cannot figure that out the Spirit of God has revealed it I'll explain in a moment the first quotation is you are my son today I've begotten you someone please read the source of that that the Holy Spirit previously recorded in Psalm 2 verse 7 Psalm 2 verse 7 be prepared if you have the Bible Psalm 2 verse 7 NIV version I will proclaim the Lord's decree he said to me you are my son today I have become your father amen amen so it's from a book that was compiled beginning in about 1000 BC many of the Psalms written by David himself so the Holy Spirit has drawn out from the shadow of the law in the Old Covenant from the book of Psalms chapter 2 and verse 7 and brought it all the way into the present time of these Hebrew Christians and for all of us for our benefit that the Father himself openly declared you are my son today I have begotten you to which of the angels did he ever say that? 
No record of it whatsoever because he never said it. But to the one he's going to bring, the promised Messiah, and the one that Moses said is coming a prophet after me, you're going to listen to everything he says, otherwise you'll be cut off. Speaking about who? The ultimate prophet, Jesus Christ. The ultimate messenger of God. And also the ultimate priest, the high priest. But he said, you're my son. In a manner that is different than what he says to Israel as his son that he called out of Egypt. He gets it from Psalm 2, verse 7. I'm going to explain this one. 2 Samuel 7.14. Somebody please read that. 2 Samuel 7.14. To save time, the next person can uh, have Deuteronomy 32.43 ready. Deuteronomy 32.43. 2 Samuel 7, verse 14. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of sons of men. New King James Praise God. When you look at Second Samuel seven fourteen, you really see that he's talking about David's descendants and who's going to build the temple. Because in verse 12 it says, When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, verse 13, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, Shaul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. When I read this, I have absolutely no clue that God could ever be talking about His Son, Jesus Christ. But this is the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Look how He took that one saying in the midst of God's declaration commandment and explanation to David of what's going to happen to his descendants beginning with Solomon when they obey him and how Solomon is going to build the temple which materials for which the materials for which David had the honor of providing but he couldn't because he had blood on his hands bloodshed how do you get that? from 2 Samuel 7.14 how do you apply that to divinity to Jesus I don't know except the Lord has revealed it you see even with the quotations of Paul sometimes from the Old Testament I've done that many times wondered how did he ever get that meaning from that word and how does he apply it here many things we can see but some things we can't revelation we just take it and say, oh Lord you mean you spoke this at that time in the midst of that declaration to David 
you are actually pointing from the shadow to the substance to Jesus? Yes. Verse 6, Hebrews 1, 6. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. There are people like the Jehovah's Witnesses and other cultic groups they tried to use verses like this to argue. See, I told you. I told you Jesus is a God with a small g. As they have in John 1. 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God with a capital G. And, uh, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God with a small g. In the beginning was the Word, I should say. The Word was with God. The Word was God. But a small g. They said, look right here. He's the firstborn. What does that mean when you have a firstborn in your home? The first one that the mother gave birth to, right? The Greek word is prototokos. That word doesn't simply mean the firstborn biologically or even spiritually. But it speaks about a rank. We see that application to King David. Jesus calls, God calls him, he's my firstborn. He's not. In the traditional thinking, Adam was. If you want to talk about a human being that was first created. But David is higher than the kings. The Psalms refer to him as the first born. Speaks of rank. But the devil tried to obscure that meaning and go with the other meanings. And tried to pervert the doctrine. You need to be aware of that. And uh, for that we can also look in the book of Colossians where God speaks of the very same thing in Colossians 1.15 similar to Hebrews Colossians 1.15 says about Jesus who is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of every creature the firstborn of every creature he's not a created being because the Bible says he created all things in John 1 and right here in Colossians 1.16 how can the creator be the created no he's the creator He's the Alpha and the Omega. There's no one before him, no one after him. He is from eternity to eternity. So this firstborn cannot mean, because all the other scriptures explain that he was not created and he created all things. And he is the first. There's no one before him. And that he is from eternity to eternity. He was never born. 
The only time you see God being born, of course, is the second member of the Trinity coming into human history to be fashioned like a man, to be born as a human being. That's all. He wasn't born any other way, any, any place. And there's a heretical teaching from some of the more popular charismatics. I heard this verse in the 90s that Jesus went down to hell and had to be born again over there. All kinds of aberrant and preposterous notions from the devil to confuse people and essentially bring God down to our level. To the point where some of those charismatic teachers that I used to listen to is to talk of God in some derogatory terms. Such pride and arrogance. That's typical of people who live for money, who are covetous, who are immoral, who are oppress, oppressors, who build their own empires. In the book of Peter and Jude, there are vehement warnings against such things and what will happen to such people within the church. We need to be careful to be free from all of those wicked things. But it's important to note as we read in the book of Hebrews that this word firstborn or first begotten speaking about rank. Why? Because he became humbled or he humbled himself to become a man and he had to remember, be appointed. He's God but as a human being coming on a mission he had to obey love, righteousness, hate, iniquity so God can highlight that he can call attention to that to show the whole universe, look, this is the reason I've given my son a name above every other name. As he became a human being for a season. And went to die as a human being. Though death couldn't hold him. Even death of a criminal on the cross for our sins. So I'd like someone to read, as we read the first two quotations from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 32. 43. Praise the Lord, Pastor. Deuteronomy 32:43, New King James. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and render vengeance to his adversaries. He will provide atonement for his land and his people. And we read that saying, where does it say that all the angels of God worship Him? That all the angels of God worship Him? When it speaks of the Son, where do we see in the Old Covenant this highlighted and yet it says the Gentiles rejoice when we go back to uh, the beginning of that verse you see that 
speaks about the firstborn in Psalm 89 and 27. But let all the angels of God worship him. You don't see it explicitly as we would expect in Deuteronomy 32 and 43. And yet the Spirit of God brings that out. There's some passages and quotations that we simply do not have the ability as human beings to make sense of logically. But God brings it out. He brings it out. To state that angels should worship God. Where is it? Such as the case we saw with the Spirit of God bringing out, is my son and I'm his father. So we see in this instance that we really can't correlate the Gentiles with the angels. And yet the manuscripts may point to that. What do we do in such a case? Simply go with it. And God will give more insight as we go along. So some things are explicitly stated to our human understanding. Other things are drawn out. We don't know how the Spirit of God brought it out from there, but it's, it's the fact when he spoke a certain thing, such as saying, out of Egypt I called my son, the whole context is he's talking about Israel, but has a shadow of who? The Redeemer in the distant future. Regarding the angels, he says, he sends his angels like the winds. Here we'll have an explicit uh, correlation that we can see from the Old Testament. He sends his angels like the winds, the New Living Translation, his servants like flames of fire. His angels like winds and his servants like I'm flipping between the versions here flames of fire and that's found in Psalm 104 somebody please read Psalm 104 and verse 4 as we're studying the word of God in the book of Hebrews Psalm 104, verse 4. Who makes his angels spirits, his ministers a flame of fire. Amen. So that's very directly taken from the Psalms. And we see it's very clear. In the previous verse, that all the angels of God worship him. There's another statement. Some versions don't have the word angels, but they say gods. Let's go to Psalm 97 and verse 7. Someone please read that. Psalm 97 verse 7. 
Psalm 97, verse 7. New King James Version. Let all be put to shame who serve carved images, who boast of idols. Worship him, all you gods. All you gods. Some versions, they refer to Hebrews 1.6 with that very verse. Now that's more nearer than Deuteronomy 32, what we read from there, to the meaning we see in Hebrews 1. So we're able to look at different references that you may see in your Bible. And sometimes, this is true, as you study the Word of God, there will be a combination of verses that will be joined, combined, to bring out a truth, a quotation, a single quotation from two quotations in the Bible. They're combined to make one quotation. And the order of the words can be different also. Because the ancients, they looked at the meaning, not necessarily the order of the words as much. That's why in the preaching also, uh, where Paul and Stephen and others, they quote the Bible, you see some apparent discrepancies, but they're just apparent. The meaning is the same. So these are some of the things that we, as we look into the Word of God more um, diligently, we'll come across these things, and this is how to handle these things. Because God cannot lie. His Word is true. But the questions will come up. How did he get this from there? And how did he combine this? And We're having that experience right now to see in the very book of Hebrews because we have multiple quotations right in the opening of the book. God wants to say something to us. He's saying, look, I've spoken about my son all over the place. And he's here. He told the Jewish Christians, you know who you believed. You know he's the Messiah. I want to show you how superior he is to everybody else, including the very angels that stand in my presence. I've spoken about him. Did you read? He told the people as he walked on the road to Emmaus, the two disciples with him. He said, don't you know the scriptures? Haven't you read? He told his enemies also. Have you never read? And that's a great encouragement and a, a responsibility for us to read like never before and ask questions. Ask the Lord. Lord, help me. I've done that many times. Just stop and say, I'm not going to just go over this. I want to know, Father. I don't understand this. God will give an answer to those who really seek and ask and knock. Keep on seeking, keep on knocking, keep on asking. It's our choice whether we're going to be superficial and float by, never become rooted, grounded. The strongest trees have the strongest roots. Only then will we be able to stand against persecution and affliction and persevere. It's the word, the word, the word. Now we're going to see a, a more direct quote now. Everybody can see very clearly. But to the son, he says, as he's comparing the superiority of Jesus to the angels, your throne, O God. Now this is a key text. If you haven't underlined this or highlighted it, especially when you talk to these pseudo-Christian cults, which they are, Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses, and even some branches of Seventh-day Adventism, 
Christian science fancy words to deceive people Jehovah's Witnesses the Lord's Witnesses Seventh-day Adventists the people really hold to the Sabbath supposedly totally misunderstanding what the law is regarding that that we're explicitly called in the book of Colossians do not judge anyone regarding the Sabbath observances but they do Christian science there's no such thing as sin mind over matter and all this satanic perversion of the truth giving a false sense of well-being and security which will take them to hell because they reject the divinity of Jesus and the need for Jesus Mormonism where the founder said he was given a special pair of glasses or goggles and taught by some angelic being some creature which has a name that is similar incidentally to the word moron that we have in our English language that's how it is they follow you see the end of these so-called prophets their lives false prophecies and they all came about somewhere roughly in the 1800s these last days and uh, just about all of them these major Christian cults they started in the United States a land that had such a rich heritage through the Puritans by and by as they progressed to the industrial revolution and as you said last evening in the praise meeting studying the book, uh, book of Second Chronicles reading about King Isaiah getting fatter and fatter richer and richer that is with more goods more free time more opportunity more technology gadgets and making life easier quote-unquote what happens pride sets in and they begin to leave the ancient paths God becomes a politically correct thing going to church and Sunday clothes your Sunday best and even name ice cream after that Sunday just desecrate the whole idea whereas they used to have these shops closed on Sunday and people observed it became a ritual they lost the meaning of it altogether because they did not obey God and that's how you had <clears throat> the silent screen come on with idolatrous and blasphemous and pornographic things right from the beginning of the cinematic industry if you study film as I had to as an elective many years ago right from the beginning they corrupt everything right from the beginning and what untold damage has the media done this sight and sound to billions of people over the years bringing in very strongly with the visual and the auditory stimuli to engross the imagination in dark things and wicked things and harmful things so the images cannot be easily shaken but on the other hand you see people who are God's people using that to spread the gospel and so it's important for us to be careful that pride doesn't set in at any time 
They were able to receive the word and understand how we can persevere. And how this right here is a key verse. Hebrews 1.8 To show these people in these cultic groups calling themselves Christians or the real Christians. The Bible says explicitly God speaking to God. How do you explain that? God speaking to himself. He doesn't have a problem. It's one member of the Trinity speaking to another member. Your throne, O God. This is God speaking. Remember, but to the Son, he says, who? The Father. The Father is saying to the Son, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. You can't get any clearer than that. It's God speaking to God and it's the Father to the Son. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. This uh, staff designating authority, symbolizing authority from a, a king or a ruler. The way you rule your kingdom, all righteous. This is important, verse 9, I have it highlighted in my electronic Bible here. Digital Bible. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Why would God ever have to be shown to love righteousness and hate lawlessness? Even God the Son on earth? Isn't he always like that? Yes, but as a human being, he had to prove that. Hence he was tempted by the devil in the desert. Hence he was tempted by the devil through Peter to not go to the cross. The enemy trying to intimidate him, rebuke him, take him to the side. Tempted by Judas to react in a manner that wasn't righteous because that devil, possessed of the devil, came and kissed him. Betrayed him with a kiss. Being with him so intimately connected with Jesus as part of his disciples starting out well and then selling his soul to the devil to betray the Son of God and that too with a kiss? The Lord was completely in control and he loved them even then. He didn't clench his fist and say, you dirty traitor. He says, friend, do you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Every step of Jesus' life, every stage, he proved himself that he loves righteousness and hates lawlessness. Therefore, because of that, as a human being, he proved himself. He proved himself, and that's why God says, Therefore, God, your God. How amazing. Can you think about that for a moment? Therefore, God, your God, this God speaking to God, and then God saying, therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions, your contemporaries, your friends, all Israelites, and all who claim to know God in the face of the earth. It's just amazing what God brings out from the scriptures. Someone please read that source. In Psalm 45, verses 6 and 7. Psalm 45, verses 6 and 7. 
Psalm 45, verses 6 and 7, NIV version. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set up, set you above your companions, by anointing you with the oil of joy. Amen. Praise God. Again, from about a thousand years before, during the time of King David, we see this written. And this is quite uh, easy to see that is directly from that psalm. There's no mystery here. Straight from the psalms. Who could David have been talking about? God saying, your throne, O God, and so on. And verse 10, 10, you, Lord, in the beginning, who's speaking? The Father. How do we know? Because this whole explanation in Hebrews 1 is the Father expressing to everyone for all time, my Son, who became a man to become the Redeemer of the world, is superior to every angel. Every created being is superior. How? In his personhood, as well as in his practice. I have never seen that term, that explanation, quite frankly, about Jesus in the book of Hebrews. You hear about person, priesthood, and so on. But in Hebrews 1, it's written, as the Spirit of God is helping us right now, I didn't read this anywhere, but it's revealing His superiority in His person, in His nature, as well as in His practice as the God-man. Very clearly, explicitly stated in Psalm 45. Now He says, You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Later on we'll see, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things that he suffered. What a revelation, mystery of godliness, that Jesus, even though he was the son of God, God the son, he had to learn obedience, he had to go through that, in other words, by the things he suffered. How marvelously, he identifies with us to help us. He sympathizes with everything that we ever can go through. Everything that can ever tempt us. Our God is so good. He's so accessible. And He's the perfect one to mediate between the Father and us. Our living, loving Jesus. Hallelujah. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And they will all grow old like a garment. Like a cloak, you will fold them up. And they will be changed, but you are the same and your years will not fail. How divinely poetic and yet absolutely true. It will roll. The, the skies will literally roll up like a scroll. We see in Revelation. Everything will flee. It will all be done. The same God who unfolded it and spread out the canopy of the universe 
laid the foundation of the beams of the earth and the waters. All these descriptive uh, words about the genesis of the universe and the world. Now God called all the stars to witness, the angels to witness what he's doing. Beautiful, beautiful, wonderful dawn of creation and everything so beautifully planned. The Garden of Eden and just the right tilt of the axis of the earth in space and the beautiful sunshine, the weather pattern. Everything was perfect. You know from who? From a perfect creator, our perfect father, our loving father, who's perfect love. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, the Father saying to the Son, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Remember John 1? He created all things. There's nothing that was created that wasn't created by him. And the heavens are the work of your hands. This Son, this Jesus you saw, Hebrew Christians, just a, just 30 years ago or so, you know he's crucified right there, right? in this small area called Jerusalem, right outside the city of Gates. You heard about him, right? Many of you are eyewitnesses. The man that was walking around for a few years, revealed, came out of Galilee there in Nazareth. Born in Bethlehem and went to the temple. He went up and down Israel. His Galilean ministry, his Judean ministry. Then he went over to Decapolis. He crossed the boundaries. He reached out to all kinds of people. He gave women such a noble, dignified status. He went to the outcasts, the lepers, the ostracized, the, the oppressed, the nobodies. He showed love to all of them. He demonstrated his love and his power to forgive and to heal. And ultimately... He went to die for all of us to bring us back to God. That man, that Mashiach, that son of a carpenter, that preacher and teacher and rabbi, 30-something years old, you know the Romans crucified him, right? You know the Pharisees and the temple leaders, they wanted him dead a long time before that, right? You know what happened? is a recent history just 30, 40 years ago. You know who that man was? The one who created the heavens and the earth. He did everything. That man. How is he the Messiah? Wherefore God has anointed him. He's appointed him. He's anointed him. He's exalted him. That Jesus created everything. Those works of your hands, O oh God, the Son, the Father says, they will perish, but you remain. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And they will all grow old like a garment. What do you do with old clothing? Get rid of it, one way or another. It's too old. The usefulness, the utility has come to an end. You don't keep it around. Like a cloak, you will fold them up. The purpose for which he created it has come to a consummation. They will be changed. How? Revelation 21. And I saw a new heavens 
and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Way back in the Psalms, David was given, right of the Psalms, was given that revelation of eternity future and what will happen before that. How marvelous that we are given access to this knowledge, to know the truth about how history will unfold and who is the God in control who will never change even if the physical universe changes. Such a stability we have, such a faith. Like a cloak you will fold them up and they will be changed but you are the same and your years will not fail. Let's go to the source of this quickly. We don't have time for chapter 2 today but we thank God for the ability to go into the scriptures that we don't just read over it. God has given us things here as a person would buy a house and look at every detail and go through the house for the punch list and everything perfect before they sign that paperwork. The purchaser purchase agreement. Before you buy a car, how many people just say, whatever. To the salesman, you pick a color, you pick this engine and you pick whatever. I just need some wheels. I know I'm going to pay twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000, whatever. Go to the grocery store. Can you just put some things in some bags and bring it to my house? We're so keen. It's the truth. I'm telling you the truth. I've gone through it before. Sometimes we rush with the very thing that we should never rush with. Because this has to do with our eternity, our soul, everything, our heart. You see, God quoting His own word, we need to stop and look at the source and meditate on it. I'm in awe, even now as I read this. This is my Jesus. This is my Father. This is the Spirit who has recorded all this. I love Him more and more because of His revelation and what He's done for me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Someone please read the source of this in Psalm 102, verses 25 to 27. Psalm 102 and verses 25 to 27. In the beginning you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like clothing you will change them, and they will be discarded. Praise God. But Praise you remain the same. Yes. Continue, please. Pastor, you wanted to read verse 27 too? Yes, please. Okay, sorry. Um, but you remain the same, and your ears will never end. Praise God. Praise the Lord. So we see again a direct quotation. May have slightly different words. Order may be different, but it's the same. Right from the Old Testament. We're coming to a close here with the next two verses in this chapter 1. But to which of the angels has he ever said? He keeps making the case. This man that you see, he was anointed by God, he's more than an angel. Far more than an angel. He's actually God, the Son. 
that's the one that has been selected to be our high priest. Marvelous. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord himself quoted from this in his ministry when he talked to his opponents. Haven't you read what David said? He said, he said, the Lord said unto my Lord. What was he talking about? There's another verse there you can highlight in your Bible and you need to show people who may not believe that Jesus is God about his divinity. Psalm 110 verse 1 which is quoted by the Lord in Matthew 22:44. Someone please read Psalm 110 verse 1. My Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet, and I be version. Praise God. Are there two lords? If God is speaking to God, are there two gods or three gods? No. Although the Bible reveals God in three distinct persons, he continually affirms that the Lord your God is one, one in divine substance, to the point where Jesus told Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, yet Jesus is the Son and not the Father. How do you reconcile that? I don't know. As a human being, I don't know. Except that I am completely at peace with what God reveals. And one day I will know everything, and so will you when we get to heaven. Because the Bible says we will know even as we are known. Hallelujah. We see the Trinity in creation. We see the Trinity at the baptism of Jesus. We see the Trinity, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit in the conception of Jesus. We see the Trinity in the resurrection of Jesus. Because the Bible says the Father raised him. Then it says the Spirit raised him. The Spirit of holiness. Then it says Jesus raised himself from the dead. Because Jesus told the people. When they said, what sign are you going to show? You're doing these things over here. He said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. He said, this temple took more than 40 years, 46 years or so. You're going to raise it up? How can you as one man, take this massive temple and say, destroy it and I'll pick it. But the Bible says he's speaking about the temple of his body. He said, you crucify me as it's been prophesied. For the sins of the world, the Father has already ordained it. In three days I'll raise it up. Jesus said, I will raise it up. How awesome. Are they not all ministering spirits, talking about the angels in verse 14, send forth the minister for those who will inherit salvation. Jesus Christ is our blessed, faithful God. Three persons in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One divine essence, indivisible in that regard. But three distinct persons. No beginning, no end. Jesus said, 
when I go up to my father, I will send you the comforter who proceeds from us. That spirit of God was the one who turned against his people when they kept disobeying and he had to punish them. Peter said to Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, how can you lie to the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is a personality, just like the Father and the Son. He's a person. He's a spirit of holiness. He's a spirit that created everything. He's a spirit that regenerates a human being. Causes us to be born again by the blood of Jesus. He's the spirit who is the author of the word of God. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. The spirit is called the author of the Bible. The word of God came from the Father. We are shown the second member of the Trinity is God himself also. And we have a superior high priest an intercessor, a mediator that is perfect in his person, in his position, and his promise. We have everything from him. We can rest secure. All we have to do is very simple. Believe him with everything that's within us. Glorify him. Obey him. Follow him. He will lead us, lead us safely. He will lead us safely into heaven one day. And along the way, a glorious journey, no matter how dangerous the journey, with His salvation always coming to us, with signs and wonders and miracles, and many people who are headed for hell through our lives of obedience and trust will be drawn to safety and they will have a quality of life way before they get into heaven. It's immeasurably glorious and joyful as we have now and we're learning to enjoy and grow in. There's pain and persecution, temptation and tribulation in this life. It's very, very difficult at times. There's a peace that Jesus gives that the world cannot give nor take away. It's not just a state of the mind. It's an actual position of the heart because we're seated together with him in the heavenly places right now. Glory be to the living God. Hallelujah. Shall we pray? Thank you, living Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus, our Savior. Oh, Lord, who has the wounds in your body right now. To show for all eternity, you took my sin, my shame, my Jesus. All of us, Lord, thank you, my God. You are my faithful high priest. Thank you, Jesus. I can run to you, Lord, with every tear and every problem, every temptation, every failure. Say, Lord, would you forgive me and would you set things right? Lord, give me grace. Lord, give me encouragement. Lord, give me strength. Help me to finish the race well. Help me to run well. Help me to glorify you. Thank you, Father, that you are available 24-7 to help us to do what is right in your sight. That you can anoint us, Lord, with gladness, the oil of gladness above the people, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for your holy word. I pray that we will have a greater interest in the days ahead.
to look very carefully at the word of God that the angels desire to look into these matters of salvation the angels want to look into this but they can't they're not assigned for that but we have the privilege of looking at the manuscript that God has given whether in physical form or digital form transmission of the holy oracles of God the holy word of God the word that performs wonders hallelujah that changes hearts and lives and families thank you Lord I thank you that we have a holy calling because we have a holy high priest and you're making us like you I thank you that the concept and definition the practical outworking Lord of your holiness that you've given to us by the blood of the holy sacrifice Jesus Christ is becoming more and more illuminated Lord by those who are coming to this church it's happening many many have reported changes it's by the grace of Almighty God by the truth of God by the power of God by the love of God we thank you Father we thank you I thank you Lord every good thing you're doing Lord relieve the afflicted Lord among us my God my Savior have mercy on Esther Lord and Samuel my God on Lord on Jesse Lord on Mike and Heidi Lord on Jeff and Jenny my God Jenny's mom Lord father and relatives Lord Yamini Lord oh my Jesus and her family have mercy upon our loved ones father our family Jesus 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 help us to remember to intercede for them Lord even as you Lord are making intercession Lord comfort Lord comfort Lord comfort we need help thank you for having mercy on Stephen Lord continue to bless him father strengthen him father raises oxygen level Lord to perfect level my God in Jesus name I ask you father touch him Lord and strengthen him father bless oh my God God who saved from death you are able Lord more than able to perfect the life bless him father his family glancing the children Lord bless father others who suffering Carlene Lord oh my God the day is coming Lord even as she's praying for Esther and Samuel's healing Lord and many others the prayer list Lord the babies Lord the elderly and the afflicted Lord Lord visit her Lord and thank you for perfecting the healing in her body in Jesus name my God give her relief give her strength bless her husband Yvonne Lord thank you Jesus thank you Lord for blessing the people Lord our loved ones who are being prayed for who are being Lord ministered to who are not with us they're somewhere else away from the Lord or physically away from us Lord they need help Lord they need counsel they need ministry Lord you're able to set it up and you're doing it we thank you Lord gracious is the Lord oh thank you Jesus thank you Lord for your mercies thank you Father for all your goodness and thank you Lord in Jesus mighty name Amen